Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. How long are they going to worship this guy? Hey! We got Cy Young winners over here! Welcome back into Hit and Run right here on 670 The Score. I'm your host, Matt Spiegel, and a privilege, an honor, you choose the word, uh, whatever it is, to talk to Greg Maddox right now, who joins us on the Alpamonte Ford Hotline. Greg, thanks so much for the time. How are you doing today? Hope you and your family are safe and sane in uh, these crazy times here. Well, yeah, we're doing good. Thanks for having me. Uh, you know, we're just waiting it out like everybody else. I think I'm rewatching Game of Thrones for the third time now in the last couple years <laughs> you're, you're so. scouting you're, you're scouting you're, you're gonna you're gonna know more than everybody else uh it's it it's great what you're doing uh, i i noticed your activity the other day as you were kind of live tweeting your way through some of your own greatest games that mlb network was playing and that's all part of this in honor of your 54th birthday the maddox foundation is matching all donations up to 54k to support COVID-19 relief efforts. Um, I'll tell people the link and I'll, I'll also tweet it out a few times, Greg. It's gofundme.com backslash Greg Maddox, 54th birthday. You're, people will search for it on the GoFundMe page and, and they'll find it. That's that's awesome. What are the what are the, the beneficiaries? There are three different beneficiaries for uh, for these donations. What, what are they going to help, Greg? Yeah, well, we've got uh, Rady Children's Hospital down in San Diego. Uh, my daughter is involved with them down there, and uh, they use a lot of 3D printers to print swabs and test for the virus and stuff like that. Uh, another one is Candle Lighters, which is uh, our charity here in Las Vegas that uh, we've supported I don't know, probably the last 20, 25 years. And Feeding America, 
you know, I wanted to get something a little on on the national level just to, just to kind of do do that as well too. So, uh, you know, it's tough times. We're kind of in a position where we could give back a little bit, and we thought, you know, let's uh, try to tie this birthday thing in and see if we can't raise raise some money for the people in need. That's awesome. It's awesome. We'll uh, we'll tweet that out at Matt Spiegel six seventy and at the the hit and run account. Uh, is your son is your son Chase still pitching at, at UNLV? I guess their season derailed just about like everything else. You know that yeah, means your father was. We were, mm-hmm. uh, we were just getting ready to get on the plane and go play in Santa Barbara when they uh, canceled the season. So uh, uh, I guess what they're going to do is all the seniors are going to give them the opportunity to come back and play next year, but. Uh, you know, we'll kind of see how that goes. Most of them are going to graduate, so you know, I think they're going to have to take more classes if they want to play next year, and they already have their degree. So we'll see how that all plays out. And uh, but yeah, it's a shame. You know, it's a shame for him and all the other seniors, high school and college. You know, that yeah. had their uh, seasons kind of terminated by this thing. Yeah, it's a very, very odd way to have it have it finished. Hope he gets back out there. I, I, I noticed you and um, were going against Glavin in some fundraising, which is uh, an awesome way to channel the competitive juices. And uh, you giving it to yeah. Smoltz about his hairlessness is uh, is entertaining, on a on yeah. a high level. Um, and how how true was it, Greg, that that you guys would compete against each other? from start to start. How true was that? I liked believing it, but I don't know how true it was. Had you guys driving each other to be better from start to start when you were teammates? Well, I, I think we pushed one another just because, uh, you know, everybody was trying to be the ace of the staff, you know, and I think we pushed one another in that way. And, uh, you know, we did bet on our hitting a little bit. You know, we would have friendly mm-hmm. wagers, you know, whether it was a sleeve of golf balls or dinner or whatever. Uh you know, we had a little point system that the guys would, would keep track of, you know, for bunts, hits, doubles, homers, all that stuff. And uh, uh, we had fun with that. Uh, but, you know, as far as the pitching part of it goes, uh, I think we did a pretty good job of helping one another on days we weren't pitching and uh, motivating each other when it was our turn to pitch. You uh, you had a, a batting average higher than your ERA in, in 95, was it, or 94, right? Yeah, maybe a couple times. Yeah, that was kind of cool. That was always kind <laughs> of a kind of a stupid goal. Like, hey, you know, it'd be kind of cool to have a higher batting average than ERA one year. And, uh, uh, you know, turned out it happened. <laughs> kind of fun. So, so one of the one of the quotes I've always loved about about pitching, I I heard from Warren Spahn, right? Pitching, he said, hitting is timing, and pitching is upsetting timing. And it mm-hmm. seemed like it seemed like you knew what you were doing in that regard um, right away. Did you know that from the start? Did you know that that was what it was about, or feel like that was the goal from from early on for you? Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, early on, you know, I was. I learned you only had to do two things to pitch. You have to be able to locate your fastball and change speeds. And whichever pitcher does that the best that day is going to win. You know, it's. Uh, it's not a speed contest. It's a pitching contest. And, and I believe that I bought into that. And, uh, you know, I always relied on locating fastballs and changing speeds when you have to. And I think, uh, uh, that, I guess that was my way of, you know, when you're facing, you know, Randy Johnson or, or Roger Clemens or somebody like that, that, that definitely throws better than you. Then you can go out there and try to, and try to out pitch him. 
your fastball moved a lot, a couple different ways, right? Like running and, and sinking. I, I always think of the one that you would throw to lefties inside and would run back over that inside corner for a, yeah. for a called strike. Was that, is that just how your fastball naturally moved that movement that yeah. I think of? Yeah. Just a normal two seam fastball, you know, and, uh, uh, Dick Pohl kind of taught me how to throw that pitch on the outside part of the plate to righties or inside to lefties and, and, and uh, still keep the movement on it. And, uh, uh, you know, that was a huge pitch for me. I was able to cut it in and sink it in. And, uh, you know, that was usually usually the reason I got the strikeout was because there was a cutter before I threw that sinker in. So you got the two-seamer. I know there was a four-seamer. Obviously, the circle change, the cut fastball, the curve, the slider, the splitter. I count seven. I don't know if that's accurate, but were, were there yeah. games where you were, were there games where you only used four? Splitter. I never threw that. Oh, okay. All right. Well, Did you well, say spitter or splitter? <laughs> well, then we have a story. <laughs> we got a story if you threw a spitter. I want to know about that. No, I never threw a spitter. Okay. Hey, you didn't need to. Sweat ball to Tony Gwynn once, but sweat's legal. <laughs> did sweat do anything no i didn't do nothing uh yeah well, it was worth a shot i guess Just, did you did you ever use any any like the sticky stuff everybody uses like the bullfrog sunscreen these yeah, days no, I, didn't, I didn't like the pine tar yeah i didn't like the pine tar or the sunscreen and rosin or whatever you know whenever they do it you know uh you know i just preferred not to have it sticking in my hand like that. I thought it was a lot easier to throw a change up if my hand wasn't sticky. Hmm. Were there games where you didn't use six pitches, where you'd use four pitches or three pitches or two pitches? Were there times that you could get away with a lot less? Uh, I mean, I basically used three pitches my whole career. You know, I think, you know, my slider and curveball were kind of, you know, they weren't very good, so I tried not to throw them too much unless I absolutely had to. You know, I think uh, I always felt like if I threw a curveball knee high, I hung it. You know, I wanted to throw it out of the zone and hope they swing at it. And and I would only throw it if I didn't think they were going to swing. So uh, that's the one pitch that I didn't want them to put in playoff. It was my curveball slider. Hmm. So I guess once you found the circle change and got so good at that, like off speed, kind of doesn't matter if it's a curve or a change like a non-fastball is is non-fastball right yeah yeah i mean everybody has an off-speed pitch and everybody you know everybody has two or three off-speed pitches and usually one stands out above the other two and that was kind of the case with me with my change up compared to my uh slider or curveball you know, you know, talking to Greg Maddox here on Hit and Run, it feels like a lot of the stuff that that I, I'm learning as I, you know, talk to pitchers and and people around the game are learning is stuff that you had kind of figured out. Like, it, I'll give you a for instance, like Lucas Giolito focused on just his change and his four seamer, and it completely changed his career around. And he stopped throwing, stopped throwing a sinking fastball, stopped throwing that curve and, and slider very much. Um, or Kyle Hendricks just throwing those change-ups to go with his fastballs, and it's not even really about the curve. I think, do you think the game, that, that people around the game have caught up to some of the things that, that you were doing that made you special along the way? Well, I think you, I think you have to pitch to your strengths. You know, there's, there's two ways to pitch. You can pitch to your strengths or, or try to attack a hitter's weakness. And, you know, if, if, if the hitter's weakness 
is not one of your strengths, then that's kind of where you have to kind of make a decision. Like, do I want to do I want, do I want to pitch to these to these scouting reports, or do I want to pitch the way I, I think I can have success? And and uh, you know, that's kind of the battle right there. I mean, uh, you know. Uh, somebody like Sammy Sosa coming up who chased and swung at a lot of sliders and curveballs in the dirt, you know, I didn't really have those pitches. John Smoltz can go out there and throw him four in a row and strike him out. You know, if I was to try to throw him four curveballs in a row, he'd probably hit the second one out. So, uh, you know, there's there's a fine line between getting away from your strengths to go to a hitter's weakness or just sticking with your strengths. And, and uh, you know, that's 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 the argument you can have every day in the bar talking baseball right there. Well, yeah, that's interesting. So, so you would, so before you would face a hitter, you would know what, what would you know about them? Type of swing, what they were good at, what they were bad at. And then it was, a, then, but then it was a matter to not even want to pay attention to some of that stuff, I guess. Well, yeah. I mean, I would like to know like, you know, what's he hit and what's he miss. <laughs> <laughs> What, what's what's uh, where, where where can I throw this guy a strike and don't have to worry about him hitting a home run? I mean that's that's kind of the big thing right there. I was never afraid to give up a single. You know I think uh, one of my coaches told me earlier in my career the pitcher that keeps the ball in front of the outfield the best is going to win. And uh, you know you start paying attention and watching games and sure enough that happens probably 19 out of 20 games where whichever pitcher keeps the ball in front of the outfield the best wins. Hmm. And uh, so, you know, buying into that theory and, and believing that, I was always looking for a pitch I could throw that if he hits it, it's going to stay in front of the outfield. And that's kind of how I made up my pitch selection right there based on that. I, um, I love the Wade Boggs quote about you, Greg, where he said, uh, it seems like he's inside your mind with you. When he knows you're not going to swing, he throws a straight one. He sees into the future. Um, that, that had to be pretty fun to feel like you got good hitters on the run like that. Well, yeah, unfortunately all this stuff came out after we were done playing, but, uh, <laughs> you know, you know, I was probably thinking the guy before him probably made a first pitch out. So I knew he was taking the first pitch hmm. <laughs> D- during an at bat. What were you looking at to see if a guy was comfortable or not in the box or to see how to attack him? What, what would you watch? You, I mean, you watched everything. You watched how they took pitches. You watched how they fouled pitches off. Uh, uh, you tried to watch all you could. You, you you tried to see sometimes that they moved up on the plate on you or, or up towards you. Uh, you know, you didn't mm-hmm. see it all the time. Sometimes you you could see it on video after the game. You'd see it like, oh, man, he freaking moved up on me. I could have had <laughs> some room inside there. Uh but, uh, yeah, you watch for everything, you know. But usually the biggest thing to know is, is, is he on the fastball? And, you know, or is he on the fastball away? Is he on the fastball in? What side of the plate's he cover? Uh, it's very hard for a hitter to cover both sides of the plate. And, uh, you know, if, if, you could, if you could guess correctly on what side of the plate he was covering, then there was a good chance you were going to keep the ball in front of the outfield. You know, they used to talk about pitching to contact, and people would then these days say, oh, no, you don't want to do that. You just want to strike everybody out. Did you pitch to contact? Were you trying to get bad contact a lot of times? I, I was trying to keep the ball in front of the outfield. I was always wanting the hitter to not hit the ball, but if he did hit it, I wanted it to stay in front of the outfield. That mm-hmm. was how I based my pitch selection. You know, uh, I tried to, you know, I think one of the differences you see now is I think, 
I think the pitchers do try to strike guys out more. You know, I think I think when they get two strikes on a hitter, you see you see breaking balls in the dirt, and you see a lot of high fastballs now. Where you know my philosophy when I played was if I got a guy out two, that's the hardest count to hit in. To me, that was the easiest time to throw a strike. So I would I would try to throw strikes when I got ahead in the count to try to force him, you know, to either, you know, hopefully he took it for strike three, but if he did hit it, it would be weak contact. Uh, a couple more minutes. Now, the guys now are just better. I mean, they throw harder. They, hmm. they got nastier curveballs, and they're throwing 96 miles an hour now. I mean, if I had that, I probably would have thrown a few more high fastballs. I, you know, and some of them, when they get smarter and they still have the good stuff, that that's when it gets crazy fun, right? Like, like Verlander knows what he's doing these then days. Then you get a Verlander. Yeah, then, now you're Verlander or Kershaw. Now you're one <laughs> of the, you know, top guys in the game. Yeah, when you can put all that together. A couple more minutes with Greg Maddox right here on 670 The Score. We talked to Rick Sutcliffe yesterday, Greg, or, or um, should I say he talked to us. He's the best. Um, <laughs> and he told us about a time when you were a rookie getting knocked around, and they were like, why is Maddox 5-15 and 15? or whatever he said? I know it's it's 87. You went 6-14 and 14 with a 5-6-1 ERA. But, but they were all like, man, he's too good. Why is this happening? And they noticed in the dugout, somebody hit what should have been a stand-up triple but they stopped at second. And and Sut said they realized that you were tipping your pitches at that point. Was Is that true? How were you tipping? And uh, were you able to stop it? Uh, well, I always tip my pitches. Second, all they had to do was look in my glove. Hmm. You know, I think, uh, you know, the reason I was so bad that year was I didn't pitch slow good. I mean, there was nothing wrong with my fastball. Just my changeup was terrible. And uh, I couldn't change speeds, you know. Uh, you know, it goes back to that. You got to be able to locate your fastball and change speeds. Well, I, I wasn't changing speeds very well. And, uh, you know, hitters were able to just get on my fastball and not have to worry about anything slow. Uh, you know, that's why I went to winter ball after that year was I had to learn how to pitch slow better. And, uh, mm. actually Dick Pohl was my pitching coach down there in Venezuela that year. I went and helped me out tremendously with, uh, my changeup and breaking ball. Gotcha. So, so it wasn't the tipping, you, you, you know, it did. Uh, I think, no, <laughs> I mean, you know, there, there wasn't anybody on second when I gave up the triple, right? <laughs> Didn't get that one. <laughs> no, I guess not. I guess not. Uh, he's Greg Maddox. And for Greg's 54th birthday, the Maddox foundation will match all donations up to 54 K to support COVID-19 relief efforts. It's, um, and, and I'll tweet out the link again, Greg. It's, it's great to see you out here in the media a little bit, getting, uh, getting, getting, you know, giving people a chance to, to get to know you a little bit. Is this, has this become a little bit more fun for you as, uh, as, as you age here, or is it still terrible talking to guys like me? Well, uh, you know, it's, it, it's a lot easier now. I mean, you know, cause you know, a lot of times you'd hear guys say stuff when you're playing, they'd say something stupid on the air and it, 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 it'd give them a reason to want to get you at the park the next day. So, you know, I don't have to worry about that. But, yeah. uh, you know, we just thought, you know, my daughter is heavily involved in raising charity money down there in San Diego. And uh, uh, we stopped doing our golf tournament a couple of years ago. So we just thought it was time to, uh, you know, try to raise a little bit of more money if we could. And, you know, this seemed like a pretty good op- opportunity to do that.
Well, Greg, nice talking to you, and thanks for the time. Appreciate it very much, and and good work on uh, what the Maddox Foundation has going on, and, and we'll talk to you down the road. Thanks again. Okay, I appreciate it. That's Greg Maddox this morning here on Hit and Run on 670 The Score. Pleasure to talk to him and just kind of try to geek out a little bit about some baseball and learn some stuff from a guy who most people think was one of the smartest pitchers of, of all time and certainly one of the greatest pitchers of all time. And the numbers all bear that out. I know when we talked to our guy, Chris Kampka, the Sultan of Stat from NBC Sports Chicago, in a little more than an hour, he's going to have some Maddox nuggets for us. And he's also going to talk to us about guys who left and came back because you probably remember what it was like, some of you. I know I do, when Maddox left and went to the Braves and... The Cubs signed Jose Guzman and other guys to try and and replace, and it did not really go so well. Remember Jose Guzman saying, uh, hey, Jose Guzman, Jose Guzman, Greg Maddox, Greg Maddox, trying to say, look, I'm me. I can't be him. Stop with that. Crazy David texted in, I haven't been to a lot of famous games. Most games I've been to are random ones, but I was there April 5th, 93, my 19th birthday when Maddox came back as a Brave on opening day. Beat the Cubs 1-0. Man, fans booed the heck out of him. I should have asked him about it, Dave. Where was this text? Earlier. Or yesterday when I taped it. But uh, very fun to talk to Greg Maddox, and I'm, I'm sure we'll get a chance to do it again. Um... Maddox, as I mentioned, going to be on Marquee Sports Network next Friday at 5.30. Ryan Dempster's show, our friend Ryan Dempster's show, Off the Mound. Maddox going to be a guest on that, so check that out on Marquee. And how often does somebody write a song about you? Not only, not just somebody, but one of the greatest living musicians. And I, I mean that honestly. Chris Teal from Nickel Creek and the Punch Brothers. He and the Punch Brothers put this song out uh, a few years ago. This is Movement and Location about Greg Maddox. One of the weirder songs from the Punch Brothers catalog, Movement and Location. Yeah, he wrote it about Greg Maddox. I should have known. Let's try to talk to Chris Teal if we if we can, Sean Anderson. Because um, I remember I was working at XRT and The Score when Nickel Creek's debut album came out. And that song, the Smoothie Song, was a huge XRT hit. And the band was going to sh- come and play live at XRT. And Chris Teal showed up separate from the rest of the band because he had gone to Wrigley. He had gone to Wrigley that day. And I got to figure out, I'll be able to figure out which game that was and what he went and saw, because he's like, man, I'm here, I got to go. And now that dude is one of the most accomplished musicians alive um, and host of Prairie Home Companion these days, which is now called, what, Live From Here? I think it is instead. 
but a Greg Maddox fan with a Greg Maddox song. It's hit and run on 670, the score. Ken Berry, the bandit, will join us at the top of the hour to talk about baseball and movies and more. But speaking of the movies, a local clubhouse veteran with a really interesting baseball movie analogy I want to talk about with you. We'll do that next right here on 670, the score. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing. However you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odyssey podcast all lowercase go to shopify.com slash odyssey podcast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash odyssey podcast the local press seems to think we'd save everyone a lot of time and trouble if we just went out and shot ourselves (laughs) oh god that actor is the best that's the manager from Major League. I once saw him at a Steppenwolf production of a of an obscure Samuel Beckett play. James Gammon is his name. Uh, Lou Brown is the manager. I think it was Buried Child was the play that I saw him in at Steppenwolf. And the whole time I'm like, that's Lou Brown! <laughs> that's Lou Brown! Come on! It's the manager of the Toledo Mudhens. It goes on to Major League. Oh, yeah, and Ethan Hawke is in this play, too. Okay, whatever. But, hey, there's there's Lou Brown. Um, I think it was Beckett. It doesn't matter. That's not why you called. It's Matt Spiegel here with you on Hit and Run and 670 The Score. Look, Major League is, is an absolute gem and a treasure. I was in a conversation about sports movies uh, a month or two back, and I, I know that I argued passionately for Bull Durham over Major League, and I will hold on close to that for the rest of my days. Bull Durham is better, but that's not to disparage Major League. <laughs> it has a lasting impact on the mindset of, of, of ball players and baseball fans that we'll talk about. Look, Anthony Rizzo in his Q&A with Kenny Rosenthal 
talked about a lot of really cool stuff. Uh, what he and his foundation are doing is awesome. And look, what they've always done is great, obviously, where, you know, he's helping care for kids with pediatric cancer. And it goes back to his own cancer fight and what he was able to come through. But in this particular COVID-19 moment, he realized that he had these great relationships with hospitals and he would he talked to the hospitals, he and the foundation, and they said, you know, we could really use some food. We need meals because we're overloaded and overcrowded and it costs money to do what we're doing and that kind of stuff for both the patients and the the medical professionals. And he realized he had these other great relationships with restaurants because he does a charity event every year and the restaurants always give some food in exchange for signage and a presence and all that stuff. So he put that together very organically, kind of ingenious um, and certainly awesome. Built on the donations of Cubs fans from throughout the world. And he makes it very clear in that Q&A in The Athletic that Cubs fans have been incredibly generous from all over the world. And he's getting food to hospitals from these restaurants, helping the restaurants stay afloat and helping, helping the hospitals get the food they need. So that's awesome. He talks about the Arizona plan uh, in baseball and, you know, how grown men with established families being gone for four months uh, might not be something that's going gonna, gonna to happen. But this certainly caught my eye, as well as our producer, Sean Anderson's. Ken Berry at the top of the hour. Chris Campkin about one hour right here on Hit and Run on 670 The Score. Bears Sundays is after me. Today, as always, Jeff Joniak will give you some thoughts about the game that we're playing. And then it's going to be Seahawks and Bears, the divisional playoff game, January of 2010. Bears win it 35-24. to That is Jay Cutler's playoff win as a Bear. And you'll hear that at noon with Jeff Joniak offering some thoughts before the game. But back to Anthony Rizzo and his conversation with Ken Rosenthal. Here's the question from Kenny. Let's talk about the Cubs. John Lester and Jose Quintana are entering the final guaranteed season of their contracts. You, Chris Bryant, Javier Baez, and Kyle Schwarber will all be in your final years in 2021. There's been a lot of talk about the Cubs' window closing. The fact that this might be a lost or partial season, what are your thoughts on how it might affect the team? And here's Anthony's answer. I haven't put much thought into that aspect of it, but we talked a lot in spring about not taking any of these days for granted. Not that we have, but because of that situation, the reality is that if you get off to a bad start, this team could look a lot different at the trade deadline. We were putting a lot of emphasis about getting off to a good start together. We didn't want to have this team broken up. It was almost like in the movie Major League, when they were selling the team, the team came together. That was the feeling we had. We don't want to put ourselves in a position to have to be sellers. We wanted to put ourselves in a position to force management's hand and be buyers. We've been buyers the past five or six years. We know our front office and Mr. Ricketts would go out and do what we need to do to have a championship team. We were locked in on that. End quote. All right. So this really dovetails, as I think you know with some of the other comments that Anthony Rizzo made during the offseason that he made at the Cub convention. And think about it. 
they're used to being buyers. They're used to being in go for it mode. And they got the the feeling in this offseason, man, we're not doing an awful lot. Really didn't do much, as Anthony talked about at the Cubs convention. And it went beyond that. It went beyond that to they're going to break this team apart. They don't believe in us. And I think it's understandable why Theo and Jed stopped believing in some of the core. Remember what Jed said late last season. We thought we would be a lot better by now, offensively. And they're not. They're disappointed. Our offense is broken from a couple years ago. All of that. They've said publicly, so you know they've said privately, how they feel about this team. But this is what was building in that uh, locker room. And that can be, look, that can be a very healthy thing. This idea of we're going to show them. And that's what he's talking about with the major league comp. So in major league, they're selling the team and they don't believe in them, think they're trash. And that team came together, started winning. They bonded together. And this was the feeling that Rizzo was noticing and putting a finger on. And you could see it out there when we were in Arizona for Scorehouse and for that that wondrous week of baseball back when the world was a more optimistic place and um, there was sports and other things still in place. Remember that? Remember those times? Oh, yeah, it was good. Um, but so that's what was gathering in that Cubs clubhouse is an us against them mentality. And you know what? I think David Ross was going to be the right guy and still will be the right guy eventually when there is a season. <laughs> I got a good one, too, from the uh, the Twitter notifi- uh, the Twitter poll that we had. OK, good. So good. Right, so right now, Guafi uh, is in the lead with thirty three point eight percent. But this is from Elliot Howe. And he says, All right, hold on. Hold on. We need to update people on what the hell we're talking about, just because it's that it's that odd. It, which abbreviation should I use as shorthand for? Look, when scientists and doctors say it is okay to return, right? And so far what we have is OTAC. Once things are cool. I really like that, O-T-A-C. Once uh, we have PP, pandemic pending. Uh, We have Guafi, given uncertainty about future infections. I like that. And it also is very Spiegelese with Guagi. And we have WEMA with medical, with expert medical approval. So what, what's our leader uh, so far? You said is Guafi at 34%. Yes, very speedily Guafi, 34.2% now. It's a, a live update. Uh, crazy results coming in. Uh, but Elliot Howe said, uh, so does that mean we're currently in Gowagi? Go outside and you'll get it. See, there you go. Go outside and you'll get it. Don't go outside, people. Stay the F inside, like Sam Jackson read a few weeks ago. So... Yeah, and you can vote on that at the Hit and Run uh, Twitter account. And also I tweeted it out at Matt Spiegel 670. But Hit and Run 670 to get in there and uh, and vote on that poll. Help me well, out with the acronym. So, I don't know, Cub fans, are you surprised at all by this mindset that Rizzo gave voice to this week? It's them against management. It's them against ownership. Respectfully so. But hey, you don't believe in us? You're going to sell? You're telling us this could be our final hand? I'm not surprised on it. But I love that he's gone ahead and put voice on it. Because this is it, man. This is is where they are. When when they play, this is going to be where they are. Is pushing against their own franchise. And saying, damn it, 
we're still good. And maybe that's what they need, finally. A lot of matters have done that. You know us. We're a Major League Baseball team. <laughs> Let me hear that, Sean. You have the whole thing? That's from, uh, from, from Major League. That's the MX commercial that the entire team does. Hello. You know us. We're a Major League Baseball team. But since we haven't won a pennant in over 30 years, nobody recognizes us. Not even in our own hometown. That's why we carry the American Express card. No matter how far out of first we are, it's cool. You know, it keeps us from getting shut out at our favorite hotels and restaurant-type places. So you're looking for some big league clock. Apply for that little green home run heater. Look what it's done for us. People still don't recognize us, but... We're contenders now. The American Express card. Don't steal home without it. Ah, Willie Mays Hayes, everybody. That's awesome. Um, thank you, Sean Anderson, producing back at the shop. Uh, Ken Berry, the bandit at the top of the hour. Chris Kampka at 1140. But before that, let's talk about MLB's involvement in a massive COVID-19 study. Are people hip to MLB's involvement? And let's talk about what we should make of it. Um, got one theory I want to throw at you guys. We'll do that next right here on Hit and Run on 670 The Score. And uh, this hour of Hit and Run is uh, being brought to you by somebody. And I'm going to tell you all about it. I have long thoughts on who's bringing, bringing you this hour of Hit and Run. It's important to me that I share it with you. And that's why I'll tell you that this hour is being brought to you by Team Hawkbird. Visit their new website, 56david.com. That's 56david.com. What to make of MLB's involvement in the massive COVID-19 study. We'll talk about that next on The Score. But it's gross. Spread virus. So gross. Bad virus. From Tributosaurus, the absurd COVID Eileen parody that's out there. Tweeted the link earlier on in the show. It is 670 the score. It's hit and run. Matt Spiegel here with you on a Sunday morning. And maybe you know about this massive study that Stanford is leading. So Daniel Eichner is the president of the Sports Medicine Research and Testing Laboratory in Salt Lake City. And he realized that his facility would have very few anti-doping responsibilities for a while. And so he had been gotten in touch with by this professor of medicine at Stanford. And they were trying to find a massive group of individuals, 10,000 people to do a study about COVID-19. Have you heard about this? Every participant in this study is gonna have their finger pricked to produce blood that gets tested for the presence of antibodies. And those antibodies would indicate a past infection, even in people who have never displayed symptoms. And this is key because the test for the virus itself can only reveal if you have a current infection. But this finger prick blood test that could reveal whether you've ever had it would help you figure out, help the experts figure out, how many people have been infected overall and who, as a result, may now have some sort of immunity. So they're trying to figure out where they could find all these people. And MLB stepped up. Major League Baseball stepped up and offered themselves and their employees of all the teams. MLB already had a relationship with this guy. 
with 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 Eichner from the Sports Medicine Research and Testing Laboratory because they've been using him for anti-doping stuff. So he reached out to MLB and several other corporations. But baseball was the quickest to agree. So why is baseball doing that? Why did baseball agree? We'll talk about that in a second. So, But the major leagues said, all right, here we go. Go for it. Use our people. Almost all of MLB's 30 teams were participating. Almost. There's three that didn't. The Toronto Blue Jays, because they're outside of the U.S. and things were different in terms of the legality, I suppose. The Chicago Cubs were one of the teams that did not um, take part in the study, but they said they will take part in phase two of the study. Patrick Mooney wrote about that the other day at The Athletic, that the Cubs had not finished conversations with their own health experts in time to agree to participate. Hmm. But And then one other team that's unidentified. But MLB employees and a lot of their players, so they're, they're using all sorts of MLB employees and some players, some vendors, employees of all different kinds. And they can document the results and photographs documenting the results can be submitted electronically. And, and so, look, this is great that baseball is taking part in this. But why are they doing this? Eichner says there's nothing in it for the teams or MLB on this one. This is purely to drive public health policy. Is there anything in it for the teams? Wouldn't it be good? Wouldn't it be good? Oh, my God, I love that song. Nick Kershaw. Um, but anyway, wouldn't it be good if you're MLB to know whether your 10,000 employees have already had the virus or not? Let's say we get to a point where you're going to have a bubble or you're going to have people involved. What a nice little side benefit to know of these 10,000 employees, which ones of them, if they're given the data, have had the disease. So that way you can say, these guys have had the disease. No, you guys are safe. You guys, you, you, you've already beaten it. You can go. You can take part in it. I mean... I don't know for sure that that data is getting shared. I don't know for sure that MLB is going to know anything like that, but it sure sounds like it would be useful. So I think it's sensible. It's sensible to to offer yourselves up for the good of science, as we all are doing by staying home, right? And whatever we can do. The, the professor of medicine said that this kind of study would have taken years to organize outside of this setting. With the help of Major League Baseball, we've managed to do this in a matter of weeks. So in weeks, they have done this. And it's great that MLB is taking part. And look, the test can produce results in 15 minutes. That's good to know. The players union said the study was voluntary, strictly part of independent research aimed at gathering data. It's not connected to resumption of play and players' identities will be separated from the data. Well, we've heard that before. (laughs) Ah, the infamous drug tests of 2003. The infamous PED tests of 2003. Players' names will be separated from the data, except for the ones that get leaked later on. And Speaks, if you're laughing at that, the fact that this information likely would leaked. Do you also believe that they're saying that this isn't for resumption of play? No, that, that's what I'm saying. I'm saying that that it is entirely sensible. And I'm not I'm not even harshing on MLB for doing this. I would if I were a corporation, 
in the middle of a massive shutdown of a multi-billion dollar business and I was given the option of being involved in something like this, I would say yes. Because any knowledge that you can have about your your employees, if they've if they have already had the disease and thereby developed the immunity for it, it would be great to know. It'd be great to know. And you know, when there is a moment, if the union or others step up and say, you know, you shouldn't be doing this, you could always pull out of your back pocket. Well, I actually do have some data right here about who among us has had it or not. Because there is this thought that way more people have had it than we think. That's my, see th- that's my yeah, biggest concern, though, is the fact that they will know who has had it and who has not had it. And if it comes down to, let's say, July 15th, and you know things start to reopen right some states and they look yeah. at still having this you know spring training thing where some teams are in florida some teams are in california i could absolutely see the mlb though being okay we're going to take all the players that were not tested positive and we're going to put them in california and florida and the other you know other guys you are, will get paid right but since you tested positive we can't have you in this quarantine you know quarantined area right i I think that could absolutely be a thing where they're just trying to protect their game or our game well it's our game so i'm I'm all for it but no i mean what you're talking about is like a colonized kind of world where like the diseased go one place and the non-diseased go another place and lord knows i hope it doesn't get to that kind of thing and and I'm, i'm i'm certainly not advocating for that but the idea of having some of this information in your back pocket, should it ever get to that kind of place, you know, would would seem to me to be nothing but but helpful, nothing but opportunistic, and smartly so, if you're MLB. Look, the true thing is, um, Sean, and it's distressing to even give into and 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 believe, is what the is what the governor of California had said, and some of the other officials out there that until there's really a vaccine. You can't imagine anything taking place. And the vaccine is far away, still very far away. As, as I once again break out my amateur epidemiologist hat, I'm so, I'm so good as an amateur epidemiologist, as we all are. But, I mean, my God, this is the state of things. Um, I, can't, I always think about The Stand, Stephen King's incredible novel, The Stand, about the super flu. It came out in the late 70s. And there's... The chapter of the book on tape in the stand where Stephen King describes how the super flu spread and went across the country is available on YouTube. He went out and he went ahead and put it on YouTube with no paywall or anything like that. So if you're looking to be truly freaked out, you know, you could uh, go and listen to that. But then again, I'm the guy who watched Contagion in the early stages of this thing and forced his wife to watch Contagion, a decision that I... Uh, I do regret, as, as I don't think she really enjoyed the, the anxiety that it produced. 670, the score is where you are. Um, we already talked about Major League. I mentioned Bull Durham in passing. Then there's Eight Men Out. I love Eight Men Out, the historical document of the 1919 World Series and what went on with the White Sox, the Black Sox as they were known with D.B. Sweeney as Shoeless Joe Jackson, John Cusack as Buck Weaver, John Sayles um, directed and is an actor in it. And the technical advisor on that was my next guest, Ken Berry, the bandit, the former center fielder for the White Sox, one-time Sports Illustrated cover boy with Mickey Mantle in 1967. 
But Ken Bennett had a part to play. And as we go to break and before we, or not Ken Bennett, uh, Ken Berry, the bandit. As, before, as we go to break and before we talk to Ken Berry, let's hear that part that he had to play as the heckler for Shoeless Joe in Eight Men Out on 670 The Score. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.